today's passage is from Zechariah chapter 4, verse 1 to 14. Then the angel who talked with me returned and woke me up, like someone awakened from sleep. He asked me, what do you see? I answered, I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl at the top and seven lamps on it, with seven channels to the lamps. Also, there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. I asked the angel who talked with me, what are these, my lord? He answered, do you not know what these are? No, my lord, I replied. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. What are you, mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. Then he will bring out the captain who shouts of God bless it, God bless it. Then the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands will also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Who dares despise the day of small things? Since the seven eyes of the Lord that range throughout the earth will rejoice when they see the chosen capstone in the hand of Zerubbabel. Then I asked the angel, what are these two olive trees on the right and the left of the lampstand? Again, I asked him, what are these two olive branches beside the two goat types that pour out golden oil? He replied, do you not know what these are? No, my Lord, I said. So he said, these are the two who are anointed to serve the Lord of all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. It's good to see you on this uh, beautiful uh, Sunday morning. Uh, we're going through a, we're going to start today a two-part mini-series uh, on burnout, and we're titling the series Beating Burnout because through my conversations with many of us, uh, it's at nearing the end of the year, and I think many of us are struggling uh, with uh, just the burdens of life and the things that we're going through and how difficult it's been. So I feel like there's a word for us here in terms of uh, God empowering us now, uh, through these next, next couple of weeks, to get us ready for Christmas. I know uh, Christmas is happening already in uh, a little over a month. Uh, in fact, at the end of November, the very last Sunday of November, marks already our Advent. Uh, so that's going to be a start of Advent. So these two weeks, talking about burnout, getting us ready, maybe clearing out some of the things that's been going on in our lives and bringing that before God. And then end of November, uh, as we start with Advent, uh, just waiting for His arrival. And I'm praying that we will experience the peace, love, joy and hope of Christmas, and we'll feel rejuvenated and good uh, launching into 2023. So today the sermon uh, is called The Spiritual Solution to Spiritual Burnout from Zechariah 4, 1 to 14, which Rachel just beautifully read for us, and next week is on Luke chapter 5, and it's going to be on the importance of people and community and partnership and how we can beat burnout uh, together as a people. So two weeks of this, and then Advent. And then uh, Christmas Eve and Christmas Day services. So I'm, I'm excited for that. I hope uh, you are as well. Let's just pray again before we go into the word here. Father, we thank you, God, for your goodness and for your grace. It, it truly is, Lord, by your mercy that we are here this morning. Uh, Father, thank you for your love for us, uh, for everyone that's here, whether this is our very first day uh, sitting in a church building or it's been a long time. We've been going coming here for a while, Lord. We are here to meet with you. We're here to experience you. So, Lord, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts, Lord, to comprehend you and your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Uh, Christina Maslick, uh, she's a professor of psychology at Berkeley and later she invented the Maslick Burnout uh, Inventory. Uh, together also with Herbic, uh, Herbert Freudenberger, uh, they were both independently doing research in the 70s, but it was later uh, Freudenberger who was accredited with coining the term burnout. Uh, according to Freudenberger, uh, Freudenberger uh, burnout, he uh, connects it with the idea of fire as he was noticing the house fires around the city. I guess there's a lot going on in uh, California at that time. Uh, but he says this, and I quote, as a practicing a psychoanalyst, I've come to realize that people, as well as buildings, sometimes burn out. Under the strain of living in our complex world, their inner resources are consumed as if by a fire, leaving a great emptiness inside. Although, although their outer shells may be more or less unchanged, only if you venture inside will you be struck by the full force of the desolation. So he argues that many of us and people in society, much in the Western world especially, we go through with the demands of life, that on the outside everything might seem okay, but inside there's a slow burn of the resources and of our energy and really of our, of our souls. And we hear it often now, just throughout the pandemic, right throughout the last few years of the pandemic, especially those in the healthcare profession or those in the front line, uh, consider ourselves to be frontline workers, there's many of us experiencing this burnout, that there's only so much inside of us, and every day there's the demands of so much uh, from us. As Josh Cohen, he's also a psychoanalyst and professor of modern literary theory in the University of London, he says this, burnout has something to do with a feeling of fundamental inadequacy in the face of the tasks life imposes on us. Not just work tasks, but the task of relationship, of personal administration, everything really everything that it takes to live and survive in the world. So we think of burnout, it's like, oh, I'm just so tired from the work I have or from the school I have. But no, burnout consumes all of us uh, in terms of even our relationships and the people that we talk to, even that could take energy from us. Things that we once found joy in, uh, it becomes more difficult. Uh, church even, maybe even going to church for a long time, even, even spiritually speaking, it's difficult to come yet before the Lord. So maybe even a more simple definition as I'm working this intro and trying to uh, uh, paint the picture for us, burn, burnout is a state of physical or emotional exhaustion from ongoing stress. That there's an ongoing something in our lives that's working at us, and every single day we feel like we're struggling. We feel like we need to catch our breath time and time again. And maybe that's because there's more things to do, right, every single day. The more things to do means that's more hours, whether it's taking care of your kids, or your pets are taking care of their house or going to work, taking care of yourself even. Maybe some of us have been wandering a little bit and you're trying to find the purpose of our lives. Maybe you're trying to find a home, a community, and it's a struggle. It's, it's contributing to this burnout. You're, you're asking, where do I belong in this world? Where is my community? Where are my people? God, where are you? It's contributing. Uh, th these questions are contributing to the burnout that we experience. And when it comes to faith, it's not like, when we have burned out, as you ask some people, it's not like when you burn out, you automatically stop believing altogether. Maybe you just become numb. It's become numb to the things of God. You, you'll still attend. Maybe you read your Bible every once in a while. Maybe you pray even, but you don't, uh, you, maybe you, can, you, you participate in things of the faith, but you don't feel your faith. You don't experience the things of the faith, the things that you once found joy, the excitement that you had when you first started following Jesus, you don't experience those anymore. And as we think about burnout, I, and as I think about Jesus in his life, like how did he live? Like he was a pretty busy guy. 
right? Going, healing people, feeding 5,000, you know, that's a lot. Uh, it's taking care of things in ministry, taking care of his disciples, walking around, answering questions. Uh, did he ever burn out? I think the answer is no, it didn't seem like it, but he wrestled. And I think we can learn something from that. Why is that? So the big idea for us as we come, come to uh, Zechariah this morning is this. The solution to spiritual burnout is not less, but actually more of the Spirit. The solution to spiritual burnout is not less, but more of the Spirit. And don't hear me wrong. I'm not equating more of the Spirit with doing more things. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the desire to want more of God. The moments that you actually desire God less, those are the moments that we ought to desire Him more and encounter him more and place ourselves in, play, in, in situations and contexts where we could experience him a little bit more. Kerry uh, Newoff, he's a, uh, the founding pastor of Connexus Church in Barrie, Ontario, and he's a host of a very popular leadership podcast where he interviews anyone from Christians uh, to, uh, to celebrities. And he has a book, and he, uh, in his book he identifies 11 signs to burnout. This is my super uh, condensed version of it. In his book, Didn't See It Coming, he says, he labels these as 11 signs to burnout. And maybe uh, as I read through this, uh, see if any of these describe you. Uh, your passion fades, which I talked a little bit about. What you once found joy and passion in uh, goes away. You no longer feel the highs or the lows in life. You're just constantly in the middle. When you ought to be joyful, you're, you're having trouble experiencing that. When we ought to be sorrowful, you're also having trouble experiencing that. Little things make you disproportionately emotional. So something that's really not that huge of a deal becomes a really big deal uh, for you. Here, everybody drains you. You're like, I just can't take another person here. <laughs> everybody, every interaction drains you. Nothing satisfies you. You can't think straight. Maybe there's a fog uh, that's over uh, your mind. Uh, your productivity is dropping. Things that you used to be on top of are now on the, on, on the sidelines. You're self-medicating, and self-medicating, uh, there's a difference between self-medicating and self-care, all right? We're not saying don't take medication if that's what you're, you're needing, but it's actually a way of hiding away. It's a way of numbing yourselves. As Parker Palmer, as uh, an author, uh, uh, a writer in the, uh, in the spiritual disciplines, he says it this way, self-care is never a selfish act. It is simply good stewardship of the only gift I have, the gift I was put on earth to offer others. Actually, self-care, is, it's you. It's taking care of you as a gift that God has blessed you with. You don't laugh anymore. And you're like, well, maybe I didn't laugh very much before, but I think <laughs> this is, <laughs> I don't laugh at all. Maybe you don't find humor in life or you don't find joy in life. Uh, sleep and time off no longer refuel you. Uh, you might want, uh, no longer refuel you. Take a long nap or you have a good number of hours to sleep and you wake up and you're still feeling restless and exhausted. How many of these do you experience? How many of these describe you? Now, if you have a, a, more than half of these, I would say, if you have any of these, I think you ought to talk to someone um, around you and share that with you. But especially if you have more than half of these, I think there's something to be concerned here. You might want to talk to a medical doctor or a, a clinically trained Christian counselor. You've heard me say this time and time again over previous sermons, the, the, the work of a good Christian counselor can really help bring out things that are deep in our souls that we've been wrestling and having pain with. And furthermore, in his book, in Kerry Newoff's book, he argues that if we deny any of these symptoms, denial is actually an accelerator to burnout. That when you deny the symptoms, the further along and the deeper into burnout 
you're going to experience. You're going to experience burnout. So what does it have to do with Zechariah? Well, the context of Zechariah, uh, this is a painting of Zechariah from Michelangelo in the Sixteen Chapel. Uh, I think he's really small. It's not actually that big. <laughs> I zoomed into it a little bit. But this is Zechariah's, uh, the prophet of Ze- Zechariah the prophet. This is his fifth vision in his book. And the book is full of, it's not very long. So if you read it through, you read eight visions altogether. This is number five. And this book just symbolizes the spirit of God empowering his anointed his anointed ones, the ones that follow, uh, follow God, uh, that the Spirit empowers them. And this prophet, Zechariah, he was a prophet to the people of Judah after they'd been exiled for 70 years in Babylon. And because of, because of his lineage, Zechariah was also a priest along with a prophet. Uh, prophet meaning he proclaims the word of God. And a priest meaning he's a mediator that brings people uh, to God as well. But his main role here is a prophet of God where he foretells God's word. Onto, his, onto God's people. And what's the word that he shares? He encourages them to finish building the temple. You see, the, the temple has been lying in ruins, and the people of God have been coming back into Jerusalem and saying, now we've got to rebuild. We've got to rebuild God's temple here. So he encourages them. Even though that temple's in desolation, even though it's in rubble, he encourages them, saying that God's going to empower you. In fact, the name Zechariah me- means God, uh, Yahweh remembers that even though you're in pain, even though your life might be in shambles and it might be in desolation and maybe you're experiencing burnout, Yahweh remembers. He knows you. He remembers you. He remembers his people and his word is true and good and he's always faithful. And who is this Zerubbabel that we keep reading about? He's a descendant of King David himself. And here in this context, he's the governor of Judah. So he's in charge of the rebuilding of the project. And I think that's enough. Uh, you can look into him uh, a little bit more. But we see here in the text this morning, as we think about beating burnout, as we think about how spiritual burnout, you need more of the Spirit of God. We see here that we need the Spirit of God to awaken us to see the things of God even. Before even desiring the things of God, before even having the Spirit of God, be, even, be, before even knowing you need the Spirit of God, we actually need the Spirit. We need God to reveal things to us that we didn't know before, we need the Spirit of God to awaken us to see the things of God. Zechariah 4, 1 to 2. Then the angel who talked with me returned and woke me up. That's Zechariah, woke him up like someone awakened from sleep. He asked me, what do you see? It's interesting because he actually wasn't asleep. But he felt like he has been asleep because he hasn't been seeing the things of God. He's been in this fog, you know, the moment when you kind of, you're like, am I dreaming? Am I sleeping right now? You know, the half, <laughs> the, the half state. Uh, this angel has talked to Zechariah and woke him up as if he's been sleeping. And he asked him this very simple yet profound question, what do you see? And I think there's a truth here that people, we, and me included, we need to be wa- awakened from our sleep in order to see, to hear, to experience God. We need the spirit of God not just to tell us divine things. Like we often go around by pray, praying, God, help us. To see things, see this world, give us revelations, help us to see the divine things, the deeper meanings of the world. But we ought to start praying. We need to pray that the Spirit of God not just tell us these divine things, but to help us to even notice them to begin with. Like not even the deeper things, just to give us a spiritual eyes to see the world a little bit differently. We need to pray this. God, give me eyes even to see things differently in this world. 
And depending on how you see the world reflects how we're doing spiritually because we know, and I know, I've experienced this, we're, we're in an unhealthy place when all we see around the world is not God's grace and not his goodness, but all we see is negativity around us. That there's so many things around us that are wrong, and that's all we see. We, that, that's a sign for us that we're wrestling with something deep down. In fact, that the book of uh, Zechariah is so important, the theme of seeing is so important, that it doesn't just see, we don't only see that here in Zechariah, but the Apostle John sees it in Revelation as well, the same vision, describing the same thing. Zechariah was written in 520 BC, and Revelation was written, as some scholars say, in 9680. So some 616 years later, uh, the Apostle John, uh, following the same Yahweh, following the same God, receives the same vision. And out of all the minor prophets, Zechariah, he has the largest numbers of messianic messages. That is to say, uh, verses that refer to the coming of the Messiah. And just take a side trip with me a little, not too much, a little bit of a side trip, get geeky here a little bit. Just parallel it. It's fascinating how seeing is important. That Zechariah, what he sees, and all the way in the last book of the Bible, you see it as well. Zechariah 4.2, uh, the, uh, in there, uh, the, 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 the angel asked Zechariah, what do you see? And he mentions seven lamps. And in Revelations 4.5, the same seven lamps come into uh, John's vision as well. Or Zechariah 4.3, we learn about the two olive trees there uh, that are beside these lambs. In Revelations 11.4, the same two olive trees are talked about in the vision that John has. Or Zechariah 4.10 uh, talks about the seven eyes of the Lord. And in Revelations 5.6 talks about the same seven eyes on the lamb who comes and saves. That the seven eyes are seen there as well. And why am I mentioning this and getting all worked up over you know, some parallelism? See, repetition in Scripture is not by accident. And repetition over 600 years later is not by accident. By two different people with uh, having the same re revelation uh, from the same God. See, it's important here that I think, and I believe this is true for us, when we have sight of the end, how things are going to end, or when we have sight of knowing what's uh, happening in the present or what's going to happen in the future even, it gives clarity when we know how the story is going to end, it gives clarity to the pain and, and the experiences that we have now. It gives clarity and purpose to the current moments, to maybe the burnout moments that you're experiencing right now. Especially when it comes to that hardest, the hard questions that you're asking. That when we understand how it's going to end, it gives clarity to this moment. And seeing is important. When we see what God is doing, we get to see how God is working in our daily lives, that we'll get to see that he hasn't forgotten us, he hasn't forgotten you, but he's with you in this very moment, in this very day. Because what do they see in that moment? We see here in, I keep saying the word see, it's just stuck in my mind, uh, Zechariah 4, 7. <laughs> what are you, mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. Then he will bring out the capstone, the shouts of God bless it, God bless it. See, this mighty mountain what they were seeing at that moment were just problems. This mighty mountain represents any issue, any problem, problem big or small. But this is a massive problem. It's a great problem. But to God, it's nothing. To God, it's nothing. If we see it in the ways that God sees, even though it is a terrible pain that we are going through, a terrible tragedy that we see and we witness to God... It is still nothing because that's how great and mighty and powerful God is. To this mighty mountain, there's nothing. He will level it. 
not just take you down a little bit, not just like I'll notch off the top, right? I'm going to level. I'm going to level this mountain. God is able to level whatever gets in his way in order to move his purposes forward. And that's a truth that helps us to go through the deepest and darkest of times. I mentioned how Zerubbabel, he's the governor at that time, but as some scholars say it, he's a type of Christ. I mentioned that word last week. I'm not going to quiz you if you know, <laughs> if you remember what that means, but the type of Christ is someone who foreshadows the coming of the Messiah. So we learn something about this Messiah, this Jesus, later on by certain characters that show up uh, before Jesus shows up. So we see here that Zerubbabel, whatever God uses him to do, it kind of foreshadows and points to Jesus himself, that Zerubbabel is a type of Christ, is a type of Christ. The Zerubbabel and what he is able to do is a foreshadow of what God is able to do in our lives through Jesus, that Jesus himself is our Zerubbabel. Does that make sense? How in, 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 in Zerubbabel's time, there, there was a, uh, there's a there's mighty mountain in the way of rebuilding the temple, and they couldn't see a way through, but through Zerubbabel, through the empowering of the Spirit through him, they're able to do it. And now in the New Testament onward times, there's mighty mountains between us. What, how great a chasm that was between us, right? We sang that. But through Jesus, he was able to overcome whatever mountain between us and God, whatever mountains that you see before us, God is able to level. And indeed, Jesus did level. And he promises this as a faith will move mountains. Not our faith itself moves mountains, but it's actually faith in God. Like God is the one who moves, moves mountains. Jesus says, he replied, because you have so little faith, truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. We would be in error if we thought that it's our faith that actually moves the mountains. No, it's our faith and our God who moves the mountains. It's our faith. Even if you have a tiny faith in this Jesus, in this God, in the mountain before you, he is able. He is able, not because of your strength, but by his strength, he is able to move the mountains. Yes, indeed, in verse 8, it continues on this way. Then the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. This is foretelling. His hands will also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Verse 10, who dares despise the day of small things? Since the seven eyes of the Lord that range throughout the earth will rejoice when they see the chosen capstone in the hand as Zerubbabel. The capstone is like the finishing project uh, that puts on top of uh, a building. But I'm fascinated by the phrase day of small things. Who dares despise the day of small things? In the ESV, the translation is, who dares despise small beginnings? Who dares despise small beginnings? See, it depends on how you see it. It depends if you have God's lens on, God's eyes, and you're seeing it through his eyes and through his lens, or we're seeing it through our own human eyes in our own current culture, in our own current context. Because yes, if you saw from a humanly perspective, the temple laid in ruins. What building? Zerubbabel, tell me what building. Zechariah, tell me what building. But you see it through God's eyes. Small beginnings. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. Beginnings. Do we see God's grace and from his perspective, we see not only how he's able to level mountains, 
how not only is he able to make big problems small, but we'll also see how he's able to build up. He's able to build up from a small stone in a mere man's hands, he's able to build his great temple. That's good news for us. Don't despise the small things that seem to be happening in your life and discredit God from working. Because we despise the small things. We say, what is that? That's nothing. But God is rejoicing over it because he is already rejoicing because he sees what that small thing can become. He sees already what that small dream, that small hope, that small faith, that small idea, that small problem in your life even that he's going to challenge and overcome. How he's going to use that to build a great big temple for his glory and for his name. So don't despise and disregard the small things that are happening in your life and dismiss what God is doing. It all depends on how you see things. We need to pray, God, give me these eyes. I've been praying that. God, give me these eyes to see things as you would see it. Not through my own human wisdom, but through you and your eyes. And Parker Palmer, I I quoted him earlier, and I recommend this book, Let Your Life Speak. He says this, One sign that I'm violating my own nature in the name of nobility is a condition called burnout. Though usually regarded as the result of trying to give too much, burnout, in my experience, results from trying to give what I do not possess, the ultimate in giving too little. Burnout is a state of emptiness, to be sure, but it does not result from giving all I have. It merely reveals the nothingness from which I was trying to give in the first place. Wow. Could it be that burnout happens because we haven't been operating according to what God has given us. And we haven't been content with what God has given us. And we've been trying to do something that we're really not. We're trying to be people that we haven't been created to be. When in fact, the best place for us to be is to be where God is and to be comfortable in our own skin and to know the gifts and the passions and the personalities that God has given us. Perhaps that is where thriving exists. So it's not for us to be someone else. Perhaps First of all, for us to see this morning is to see who God has created you to be, the unique individual that you are, and to rejoice in that. Because often when I read small, uh, despising small beginnings and, uh, and despising things that seem to be insignificant, I don't point to things out there, but I point to myself. That I feel insignificant. That I feel like nobody. So, and I try to crawl and claw my way out, but that just puts me down into a pit even more. Could it be the first thing we want to pray this morning is, God, help me to see myself as who you see me. The loved son of God, the loved daughter of God that I am, and to be fully content in that identity. So the first part comes from seeing, and we need God to help us to see what he sees. And secondly, and finally, we keep seeing the things of God when we keep depending on the spirit. It's a little cycle keeps going. When we pray for God to help us to see the things that he would see, how do we keep that going? Well, if we keep depending on his spirit, and that's our, uh, that's our attitude in the every single day. Zechariah 4, 6 says this, so he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. By my spirit, by God's spirit, not by my own strength, not by my own intellect, not by my own wisdom, not by my own, uh, 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 my own gifting and my own personality. No, we move forward 
the task will be done by God's spirit, by him empowering. D.L. Moody, he was once asked, why do Christians keep praying to be filled by the spirit? Isn't the spirit always with us? And, and he was answering and doing a bunch of lectures, and then he finally answered it in this way. Well, isn't it enough that, that uh, he, uh, the question was, why is it, uh, isn't it enough to be filled once? And his answer, uh, Moody's answer to the person who asked the question was this. Well, it's because I leak. <laughs> I leak. Yes, God is fully sufficient. God fills my life fully, but I'm an imperfect vessel. I leak. There's things in life that get at me. That yes, I wish I had God's word perfectly memorized. Yes, I wish I experienced God's presence in me every single day, but I'm imperfect. I leak, and, it's, and I need more of God every single day, not because he's insufficient, it's because I am insufficient, and I need more of him to fill me. But our current culture doesn't like to talk about that because we like to talk about how we want to empower ourselves, how we are enough. And we, we like to create uh, our own lives and, and fill our own lives with what we think is best. But what if we thought of our, our lives in terms of uh, through the illustration of agriculture, through the idea of speaking a life as, as growing? Uh, from the, but, uh, speaking from the angle of growing, because so many of us in our culture speak of life as manufacturing Right? We don't talk about life as we grow a life, but we talk about life as we, we make a life. Like, I think we, we would really alleviate a lot of our pressure on ourselves if we thought about life as growing and cultivating and, and stewarding what God has given us instead of us creating it for ourselves. Because, because just think about it, the language that we use matters. We often say we go and we make money. We make friends. We make a living. We make meaning for ourselves in the world. We even say we make love. It's all about manufacturing. It's about creating ourselves and empowering it and, and making it happen ourselves. But what if we saw life and what if God's calling us as we depend on him and his spirit to empower us in the everyday, to think through life through, the ecology, the, uh, through, through, life through the lens of ecology, where life goes through seasons and there's growing and there's dark moments, and there's pain moments, and there's drought moments, and there's moments of flourishing. We, it, what if we saw life through growing? You see, 1 Corinthians 3.67 says this, I planted the seed, I, that's Paul, planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. What if we thought of life in seasons instead of putting all the pressure that we have to create this right now? We have to do it all right now. It all depends on me right now in this very moment or else it's lost. Uh, Justin and I, we've been uh, trying to read, um, doing devotions with our son Cohen a little bit more uh, in the evening. And we've been using the Bible experience and the Bible app at the end. There's a little uh, video and some questions. And it's Ecclesiastes chapter 3, 1 uh, this week where it says there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the sun. I was reminded that's so true. It was so hard to trust God in that, that there's a season for everything because, I, yes, I know intellectually there's a season for everything, but my human side, I want to manufacture. I want to do things. I want to create things. I want to make it happen. But if we look all around us, the city is changing right now as we go from, go from fall uh, into winter. Uh, we see the leaves changing, and we just went through a storm, and we saw the devastation of the storm. On the outside, the trees looked beautiful and magnificent. The leaves were, were, were just beautiful. But around the city, you would see things like this. 
I just had an image as I walked past trees like this, this idea of burnout that on the outside things might look totally okay, but how many of us on the inside are struggling and our roots aren't actually that deep. And it just takes a big windstorm to knock us over and to reveal the weakness uh, in our lives. See here, don't let the illusion of control in our lives, and I think the pandemic has done a amazing job of making us realize how little control we actually have but i feel like slowly it's creeping back into our lives don't let the illusion of control make you think make us think that we actually have control over our lives that we actually have control over what's going on because we're missed here today and gone tomorrow we ought to trust and depend on god for what the strength that he gives in the every single day that ultimately we don't have strength over many things anything really in our Alpha Course uh, session this week, uh, there's a quote from Corrie ten Boom I want to share with you. She's a Dutch a Christian writer and speaker who hid and helped many uh, Jewish people escape from World War II uh, from Nazi Germany. And she says this, when life gets tough, when a train goes, th- and, and paralleling this with life, when a, li- when a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You sit still and you trust the engineer. <laughs> I love that. When life gets tough, when the train goes through a tunnel, you're just like, oh, I'm in a dark tunnel. Okay, I'm going to jump off. I don't know what they're doing. No, you trust. You trust the engineer that he or she knows what they're doing. In the same way, when we're going through the lows of life, maybe you're going through a low, low point in your life, a time of burnout, a time of struggle, a time that's hard for you, that it's not for you to throw everything away. It's actually to stay firm and hang on to God even more to trust in his spirit even more, to pray, God, I need more of you today because I'm not going to make it through today without you. No matter what you're going through, the pain, the doubt, the grief, the anxiety, the hopelessness, the mistake that keeps running through your mind again and again and again, whatever it is you're going through, whatever worry it is that you're going through that's driving you into that state of burnout, the good news here this morning is that God is able to turn that worry into worship into a place before him where you experience him even more deeply because of your pain, because of your lacking, that you're able to know him more and more and more. Not because of what you do and your own strength, but because of what he can do, where you depend on him fully. Because ever, as we go to near the end of the verse, ever thought about what the lampstand represents? What's all that's about the imagery of the olive tree and, and all that's going on? I read it for us again here, 11, verse 11 and 12. Then I asked the angel, if you had that question, Zechariah did too, so you're not too far off. <laughs> then I asked the angel, what are these two olive trees on the right and left on the lampstand? Again, I asked him, what are these two olive branches beside the two gold pipes that pour out a golden oil? And then he replies later on in verse 14, these are the two who are anointed to serve the Lord of all the earth, which really doesn't clarify it anymore. All right. So I think it's okay to be left in suspense. But people and uh, many scholars over time have tried to draw this and, and understand what this is like, what the point of it is. We know that the lampstand in Revelations represents the church, right? And the, 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 the light that's burning is the, the, the church that's burning bright uh, for God. This represents his church. And what we see here is that the power of the lampstand, it doesn't come from within. It doesn't come from the wick. It actually comes from the olive oil that's dripping into the bowl, that's constantly fueling the lampstand. 
that keeps burning over and over and over again. See, the oil and scriptures connected to the working of the Spirit. And this oil, this keeps flowing out of this olive tree into the, uh, the, the pan up top, the bowl up top, and goes through those seven pipes into the seven candles, and the seven uh, candles, they just keep burning. So it wasn't because of the strength of Zerubbabel. It wasn't because of the strength of the people and the wisdom there. It's actually from the olive oil, from the power of the Spirit that keeps the lamp ever burning forever and ever. So the question is, this morning, as I'm coming to an end here, how connected are we to God? How connected are we to the vine? How connected are we to, to Jesus? How, can, how, how, filled are we by, uh, how filled are we with the Spirit? Do we seek Him? Do we want Him? Or are we actually in there every day, the moment that we leave this place, we're actually like, hey, I'm going to go do this. I think this is best. Instead of praying and seeking, being like, God, I need you to provide me with strength. I need you to fill me. I'm tired of, of being tired. I'm tired of doing this on my own. I'm tired of, of, of trying to summon this up on my own strength because it's leading me to some very terrible places. And I need God to fill me. As Ruth Haley Barton in the book Sacred Rhythms, she says this, most of us are more tired than we know at the soul level. We're teetering on the brink of dangerous exhaustion. We cannot do anything else until we have gotten some rest. We can't really engage any spiritual disciplines until solitude becomes a place of rest for us rather than another place for human striving and hard work. I want to encourage you, church, this week, what is the action item? The action item is actually to do nothing. This week is to do nothing and to seek his presence. That's it to be still before him, to find moments of quiet and rest. And I know doing nothing would drive some of us nuts. You'd be like, that's, that's not practical. That's not productive. But there's a difference from not doing anything and doing nothing. In doing nothing, you're choosing that. That's an action still, believe it or not. It's a discipline. To do nothing, that's a discipline, which is different from having nothing to do which is more passive, but choosing to do nothing. Maybe we can be more engaged and more connected with God in that way. You see, there's a story of a woodsman who was uh, really good at what he did with his axe. So he's hacking down like 10, 20 trees a day. And he heard about this new chainsaw that was uh, in the, uh, at the hardware store in, the, in town. So he went and bought this new chainsaw because he heard so many amazing things about it. And then he came back uh, to the store a week later, and he wanted to return it. And the owner was like, well, why? Why are you returning this? And, and, and he was like, oh, it doesn't work. I used to chop down 10 to 20 trees. Now I'm down to five a day. Uh, it's like, what? That's impossible. So he looked at the chainsaw, <laughs> and then he was looking at it. He's like, oh, well, the, the battery looks good. The gas valve looks good. The chain is sharp. Uh, the saw itself is sharp. Everything looks good. And then he summoned, uh, he went on and turned it on. And there's a loud roar, the roaring of the engine. And then the axeman is like, what's that sound? What's the sound coming from that, from that chainsaw? And the owner's like, you never turned it on? <laughs> How many of us are living in life in that way? Where God's given us this power, the counselor, the mighty one, God himself through the spirit. And we're like, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's not doing anything. God, are you present? Are you there? But the question back to us is, 
God's asking, do you understand what I've given you? The power that I have for you, that it's the power that raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. That's the power that you have. That's the potential that you have. So that problem that you're experiencing, that mighty mountain that you're going through, that challenge that you're going through, that is nothing in God's eyes because you have God himself with you. And I want to end with this confession that it's so hard to live out. That only some of you might know this, but in 2020, beginning of the pandemic, halfway through, I was so close to saying, that's it. That this pastorate is not for me. It's time for me to go. I don't know, I can stand this. It's taking forever for us to decide anything. <laughs> we can't buy a camera. So many cords, so many things that need to be done. We can't do, there's people that are dying and lives that need to be, uh, that need, people that need to hear Jesus and there's other things that we need to deal with right now. And I was so close to calling it quits. And actually in that moment, the lowest point in ministry for me was the best thing that could have happened to me. Because I was praying and God was stripping down some of the deepest and darkest places of human striving in my own heart. Saying, God, saying, you haven't, Doug, you haven't been trusting God in your life. You've been striving according to your own strength. You've been doing all these things, maybe wonderfully and beautifully and eloquently, all under your own power, but, none of, but all of it is lacking me. And I've been on the wayside. In that moment, when confession before God, where I had to confess and repent, and have to acknowledge that I may never live up to what I thought it means to be humanly successful. In that very moment, God freed me and filled me with the Spirit and gave me his goodness and joy. Where that moment of low, of burnout, became a moment of rejoicing and testimony of how good God is. So whatever darkness you're going through, whatever you're struggling through, that's not the end of your story because God is greater, God is bigger than you could ever imagine, and God is better than whatever it is the world is offering you right now. He's the one we ought to be seeking. Let's pray. Father, you're so good to us. In moments of want, in moments where we reject you, you, God, still want to be with us. You still desire to be with us. You still desire to give us your spirit. So, Father, I pray for our church, our congregation. I pray for any one of us now, Lord, that's been experiencing tiredness and burnout and anxiety and worry over the next thing we got to do. All the responsibilities that we have, all the problems and challenges, all that we have, the mighty mountains that are before us. Father, we pray in Jesus' name that they will be leveled according to your strength, your power, that you will give us eyes, the eyes of Christ to see through this life and to have this unshakable shakeable trust in you. So Father, in this moment, we pray because as people, as leaky as we might be, God, we need your spirit. So fill us afresh again in this moment. We're done doing things under our own strength and we need you. So help us every day to pray, to read your word, to seek you, find moments of solace and solitude, to connect back to the vine so that we can experience you once again. Renew our passion, God. Refill our souls once again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.